0: It is the 200-level episode 126, Where to Go From Here. Not trying to be clever with the title, not a pun. Actually, was the name of a song from one of our high school bands. So that's a shout-out to Kenton, good friend who wrote Where to Go From Here back in 2002-2003, which is a statement that you would say for many different situations. But for the purposes of this podcast and trying to figure out what is going on with this Illinois football team, where to go from here is the question that we're probably asking on, for me, a Sunday morning... A kind of dreary false Sunday morning after what was a pretty fun Big Ten weekend, minus, minus a game on Friday night, which really got the weekend off to a bad start. Had a great time yesterday, though. That would have been Saturday watching the games. Rutgers kind of called the upset on Friday night. I know my wife is not too happy about that, but at the same time, as a Michigan State fan, they were uncertain what this team would look like and kind of where that football program's at. So Rutgers with a big one. Greg Schiano's first game back with Rutgers. Love the 230 games. Love the 230 games with Iowa and Purdue and Indiana and Penn State, which I figured would be competitive games, and they were more than just competitive. They were very exciting, especially the Indiana-Penn State game with one of the better finishes in recent memory. And kudos to Tom Allen who has turned that Indiana program into a legit, good Big Ten football program. And that's Indiana. This is a program that I think for a 30-year stretch from 1989 to, what would that have been, 2019, had kind of stunk and made, I think, you could count on one hand how many bowl games they made. Even the Antoine Randall era, did they make a single bowl game when he was quarterback? So a huge one for them yesterday with uh, Penix, their quarterback, who, my God, if we had to face him, that's a scary proposition. And on top of that, always nice to see Penn State kind of fall flat on their face. So that was the game of the day, no doubt. The evening games, Michigan and Minnesota and then Maryland Northwestern, not much to write home about, especially the Michigan and Minnesota game where... Michigan looked the part of a program that's been there for a long time and Minnesota looked the part of a program and I think Illinois fans can relate I'll give you an example in a second of a team that has an incredibly successful year the expectations mount and then they just don't have the same amount of studs yet they just don't have that now P.J. Fleck is getting there and they're probably still going to have a pretty decent season let's say five and four recalibrate that from maybe seven and two or whatever best case scenario you had for P.J. Fleck in Minnesota But last night proved that Michigan is still Michigan and Minnesota is still a team trying to establish themselves as a consistent winner. That was a disappointment in terms of, I thought that'd be a close game. Vegas thought it'd be close, three points, and instead Michigan, they score 45 and look pretty good doing it despite a few mistakes. But at least that sets up a Big Ten East where, you know, Ohio State is certainly the cream of the crop, but I would love just to switch things up. I would love to see a situation where Michigan and Ohio State may be playing for, a big Ten title. Is that going to happen? I I don't know. Maybe we put 5% on that, but I, I think this Michigan team, they probably have enough guys where if everything goes right, they could enter that game against Ohio State undefeated, just like the Buckeyes will most certainly be undefeated as we saw them against Nebraska yesterday. But all that said, the opening weekend for the Big Ten, it was a big success for most teams, even the ones that might have disappointed Minnesota, they'll lick their wounds, they'll be okay. Maryland, their year two under Mike Locksley, they'll either figure it out or they won't, but it's too early to tell. Maybe you go uh, look at Michigan State as a team that's really disappointed, turning the ball over seven times, and not really sure where the Mel Tucker thing is going to go. But again, year one, new coach, moving on from the Mark D'Antonio era, which had ended in pretty messy fashion. So there's not many teams you would look at that after the first week are saying, oh my god, what the hell was that? To the same degree that Illinois fans are having to ask themselves. And time heals all. You know, I wasn't that angry necessarily Friday night. You had to find the humor in it, otherwise it would have been very depressing. And I was able to go to bed earlier because instead of staying up super late to celebrate a win, yeah right, or even a moral victory and have a longer podcast with the guys, we kind of cut it short because what, what do you say? what do you say, right? Well, we'll try to pick up the pieces today. It's Sunday. It's about 36 hours from when that game ended, and we will uh, reflect on whatever that was and try to project forward, which, yeah, that's maybe a futile exercise if we would have done the same thing last year after the Minnesota game. Well, we did. We said the season's over. The Lovey Smith thing is over. We were proven wrong, but what about this year? Let's get into that in a second. Before we do, Just a reminder, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. Now, here's the deal. They have a special going on. Use coupon code Mike to get $5 calzones. Coupon code Mike. That's it. Four letters, M I K E. $5 $5 Cal Zones, for anyone that's had DPDO, you know that is a great deal. And then you can get premium or construction zones, which are super loaded, for only $6. That's at dpdow.com, and they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So it could be for your NFL Sunday. It could be for the Bears-Rams Monday night football game. It could be any night of the week or even for lunch. dpdo.com. Coupon code Mike for $5 Cal Zones at dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at FourthAndKirby.com. Great swag and some new swag, including a blue crew neck sweatshirt with the script Illinois font from last year's retro Illini basketball jerseys. I'm going to get that for myself, and even though the football team may be getting you down a little bit, I would highly recommend getting the big guy football t-shirt. That's what I wore Friday night. Really vintage-inspired uh, t-shirt from a 1978 football program. Looks great. Got compliments on it from some of my friends I was Zooming with. And that goes for most 4th and Kirby apparel. So go to fourthandkirby.com. use coupon code 200LEVEL, or the 200 level, to get 10% off your order, and all year long, 365 days a year, you buy two t-shirts, you get one free. That's at fourthandkirby.com. Finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hanson online at brianismyguy.com. We work with Brian as we made the move to our new house. It was seamless. It was one of the easiest uh, insurance transactions I've ever had when I consider things from the past but the larger companies, like a progressive, things like that. And yeah, Brian is a State Farm agent, but him and his staff make sure that it is personalized. They make sure that your process is smooth. There's no BS. It was as easy as it could have been. And knowing Brian for as long as I have, you can trust Brian and his staff. So we knew that anyway. And then going into the business relationship, easy as could be, highly recommend using Brian and his staff. Go to brianismyguy.com. For State Farm agent, Brian Hansen. Got to thank Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners with The 200 Level. So we're going to be doing two podcasts a week. I woke up this morning feeling, I guess, inspired. And I don't know, this is a good day for writers. You know, if you're a writer and you just sort of like getting a cup of coffee and writing something in your notebook or on your computer, nice cloudy set, uh, Sunday morning to do that. In terms of podcasting, same thing, where it's a sleepy kind of morning and I've had time to kind of collect my thoughts from what happened on Friday. So what the heck, let's flip on the mic and see what comes out. So not sure how long this episode is going to be because I don't want to get too redundant and say things that I already might have said Friday or, unfortunately, things that I might be saying quite a bit this football season. It's always tricky when you criticize Illinois athletics. I've learned this from the days at 93.5. Even back at 107.1, when I was just, you know, you're goofing off, you're in college, you aren't really sure what your radio personality is yet, but I always had this sort of angle of, listen, if something's not good, I'm going to address it, and I don't really care about the DIA or the Pollyannas of the world that may take offense to it. Now, unfortunately, that, over the last 10 years, has turned some people into thinking that my whole shtick is finding the negative part of Illinois sports and going after it. That's not what I attempt to do. To give you some context, on Friday, parent-teacher conferences ended at 11 a.m., right? So I had a long weekend weekend go do some errands, doing things around the house. I'm trying to pass the time until 7 o'clock because I was excited, not for a win. I think that a lot of Illini fans, it seemed if you did the unscientific polling on Twitter, a lot of Illini fans were feeling really good about their chances going into Friday night's game. I was not one of those, but I felt good for it to be a competitive game. And that was based on everything we'd seen in college football, how crazy these games have been, how road dogs tended to play A lot better than the spread would suggest. And that also came from the fact that even though I'm a lovey skeptic, well, let's say cynic now, let's call it what it is, that there was enough on this team, and it was year three under this offensive coordinator, you had a veteran quarterback, you should be good enough. Good enough to compete in a game like that on Friday, and even if you lose by 10, 13, 14 points, you say, hey, you know what? They are improved from last year. That was just a better team in Wisconsin that beat you. That is something we can all accept. That's a pill that we can swallow, but what is difficult to swallow is what happened on Friday night. We should have known, and I think maybe we did, a <laughs> second play from scrimmage when Mike Epstein fumbles it, and Wisconsin shortly thereafter, they score, and I, I, I remember trying to caution myself and thinking, okay, now hold on a second. It may be, it may be that this is just a, a Bad start to what will ultimately be a crazy game. And even watching before that Illinois-Wisconsin game on Friday night, the replay from last year. And how many moments in that game Illinois was dead in the water, and yet they hung around, and they hung around, and they ultimately won it. Which, keep in mind, last year's game against Wisconsin, it was a great finish, but it wasn't exactly pretty. That offense for Illinois was pretty bad for most of the game, though they made the few big plays they needed to win the game. So kudos to them for that. But keep in mind, Wisconsin's defense had dominated Illinois last year. I should have taken that more into account when I predicted 24 points for Illinois. 24. Anywho, we should have known from that second play, and yet I'm trying to keep that optimism. I'm Zooming with some friends during the first half before we get the podcast going in the second half. And as the first half unfolds, there is that glimmer There's that glimmer when you return it for a touchdown, and at that point, I think it's 21-7, or was it 14-7 at that point? It all blurs together with as many touchdowns as Wisconsin scored. And then very quickly after that, before you know it, it's 28-7 going into halftime. And at that point, what's the damn point? It's a Friday night. I was excited to do the podcast, excited to catch up with friends, but essentially that was it. I had no interest in the game, knowing that what we had seen in the first half was likely not going to change in the second. Now, we could sit here and say, "Carp." Illinois, Michigan State last year. Don't you remember that? I do. I remember turning that game off midway through the second quarter and having to take a break from it. And then the third quarter and fourth quarter comeback began. And of course, we remember the craziness that ensued. That's an aberration. That doesn't happen very much. And it probably was not going to happen against Wisconsin. No, what I saw, what I saw gave me the heebie jeebies, okay? It scared me. What I saw on Friday night against Wisconsin told me that last year's four game win streak. That is the aberration. That's the aberration. We are now in year five of the Lovey Smith era at Illinois, and that game against Wisconsin Friday night may as well have come from the first or second year. Maybe the third, but that might be generous because that offense in the third year, at least, under A.J. Bush, would have gotten a little more, I think, than what we saw Friday night with Brandon Peters and a little bit of Isaiah Williams. But that's the problem. Last year... You look at a four-game win streak and think that could be the thing that catapults you, that gets you over the hump, that was so difficult for this coaching staff to get over. And they didn't capitalize on it at the end of last year. They have an entire offseason to figure things out with a veteran roster, and that's what they have to show for it. I'm going to get into how this... Might be overreaction. I'll get to that in a bit, but let's just start with the simple fact that you lost 45-7 to in the first game of a COVID-impacted year against a Wisconsin team that lost their stud running back, that lost two of their best pass rushers, that did not improve their roster as much as you did from last year to this year. Listen, Wisconsin, they are what they are, year in, year out. They had a guy here, they had a guy there, but it would be hard to argue that this year's Wisconsin team... Is measurably better than last year, meaning if you're an Illinois fan, the reason that you took solace in the fact that you had a chance was that this Illini roster should be measurably better than last year's Illini roster. Defensive line concerns aside, and they had their moments and they had their bad moments too, but there were enough individual pieces that Illinois added to make you think, you know what, year five for love, you should be better than year four. And likewise for Wisconsin fans, you thought, well, we're just Wisconsin, we're about the same as we were last year, and we lost a few key contributors. I know that's transitive property stuff and it's silly and potentially stupid to do that for sports. But that was a thought that I had coming into this game that the Illinois roster should be good enough to hang. Should be just hang. You know, that's it. Not asking them to win. Just be good enough to hang. No, you lost 45 to seven. That was as embarrassing of Illini performances we've seen. And we got a long list of them, my friends. We got a long list of embarrassing Illini football performances. You can put that in the top five or top 10 of the Lovey era for sure. And that is including all of the 24 games from Years 1 and Year 2, which were an absolute embarrassment. But at least those had context. At least we could make the argument, and I know Harry Black would love this, however flimsy this argument is, well, it was Year 0. Year 1 for Lovey was Year 0. doesn't really count. Okay, fine. Even if I grant you that, even if I grant you that, let's go to Year 2. Oh my God, Year 1 slash Year 2 for Lovey? Not good. Okay. So even if I grant you this thing, that we're, the timeline is continually moving and really Friday night was the debut of Lubby's fourth Illini team, okay? If I grant you that, does that make it any better? Any better at all? Look at the long history of futility with Illinois football. The long history of it. and year four or year five, Whichever you want to choose, for most coaches, they are a little bit better than what we saw on Friday night. That even goes for Ron Zook's 2009 team, which they were loaded with 12 NFL guys, right? And they got smoked by Missouri in the opening game. I saw some people tweet this out and compare Friday night against Wisconsin to that 2009 opener against Missouri. And I I see the comparisons because the wind gets sucked out of you from the get-go, and we'll see if the team recovers from there, right? That is a brutal way to start a season. But if you look at years four and years five for most guys that have come through the Illinois program, Ron Turner, Ron Zook, you go back to the Mike Whites or let alone the John Makovics, I know those are all coming from a different place, a different starting point, but it's better than what we saw on Friday night. It's better than a 45-7 loss at a Wisconsin team that, you know, they're probably going to win the Big Ten West, right? I think that's probably safe to say after what we saw on Friday night and then on Saturday with everybody else. But are they a football playoff team? I don't know. How much of that was Wisconsin being good and how much of that was Illinois just being awful? It was a mix of both. But I want there to be accountability for this Illinois team and I don't want to fall back and rest on our laurels and say, well, that was just Wisconsin on a Friday night. These things happen at Camp Randall. It No, it doesn't happen to other teams to the same frequency that it does Lovey Smith's Illini teams. The complete ineptitude of this football team Top to bottom, offense and defense. I guess special teams are okay, but who cares at this point? Because the two main units aren't doing enough for you to make the special teams, uh, even put them in a place where they're going to make an impact on the game. So ineptitude from this coaching staff is what we saw on Friday night. I tweeted out in the first quarter, and mind you, this was eight, nine minutes into the game, that what, what am I watching here? What is this offense? What is their thing? What is their plan? What is their identity? Now, I'm going to be talking with Jeremy tomorrow, and I'm excited. I'm I'm going to bring this up to him. But he tweeted back and said, what, you're making this judgment based on the first, you know, three possessions of the year? And I said, yes, because I've had five years of this crap, or more specifically for Rod Smith, I've had three. I've seen it. I've seen this movie before, and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of ineptitude. I'm sick of the uh, lack of execution. And then before that, a play calling, which doesn't really seem to have any sort of Template or or, or vibe, I, I can't get a read on it. And, and I'm, a, I'm a layman when it comes to football. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert with X's and O's. But at the, end of the, at the end of the day, sometimes it is a simple game. And it's easy to tell, well, this team, what they're going to try to do is establish the runner. What this team's going to do is they're going to try to establish the dink and dunk passing attack and get their quarterback comfortable. Or this team, they're just going to be run and gun, whatever it may be. You, you can usually identify that. When you watch football games, I was able to yesterday watching all those Big Ten games on a college football Saturday. Well, Indiana, hey, listen, their offense is really just kind of about ball control and their defense is really their bread and butter. Or you look at uh, Purdue, well, they're just going to go to David Bell because until Rondale Moore gets back, that's their kind of thing, right? You can identify these things, but with Illinois, you can't because it's seemingly Rod Smith is just, you know, we got a bag of plays, right? And he's just reaching in at random and saying, let's do ooh, this one. I like this one. Let's do it without any context about the play that came before or the game that is in front of you, they are really just kind of pulling things out of a hat and hoping it works. This is a guy making a lot of money to put out a serviceable offense. And what we got was one of the worst Illini offensive performances in the last decade. That's, I about said impressive. It's impressive in the worst way because there's been a lot of bad Illini offensive performances. So let's start with that. This offense. Brandon Peters, Mr. Heisman. No offense, Bob Osmussen. <laughs> You've been doing a really good job th- this last year, and I, I appreciate all the different things you're covering. I do have to poke mild fun, and I did when it came out, Bob's column about Brandon Peters being maybe a Heisman candidate. And Bob and I had a conversation on Twitter. Listen, I'm I'm not going to rehash that, but you have to – Very briefly acknowledge, hold on a second. And Bob wasn't the only one thinking that Brandon Peters was going to have some breakout campaign. I was more mild on that, but I thought veteran quarterback, he'll be good enough, right? That was my mantra for Brandon Peters. Good enough. Good enough. He stunk. That's it. He stunk. Overthrows, underthrows, no rhythm. But what compounds that is that after the game, now we have, what do you want to call it, a quarterback controversy? Probably not quite. But he was asked about Isaiah Williams getting into the game, and he said that it threw him off his rhythm. He wasn't in rhythm to begin with. How can you get thrown off rhythm if you weren't in rhythm to begin with? Now we have our starting quarterback, what, fifth year senior, correct? Comes over from Michigan. You wanted to be a leader on the team. And he's essentially not taking accountability for his own piss poor performance. I always try to caution myself in criticizing college athletes because at this point, the oldest ones of them are 10, 11 years younger than I am. But if you have a strong program, right, if you have a strong hold on your program and the athletes that play for you, you don't have quarterbacks like this speaking out when the backup phenom quarterback that you have gets, what, five or six plays under center. You don't have them complaining about that when they themselves were so bad on the field. Embarrassingly bad, especially compared to the first-time starter, Graham Mertz, world beater, who may be a good quarterback, but let's be real. He may have a really good career at Wisconsin, but that's his first start. I mean, not, not all great quarterbacks come out guns blazing in their first start, especially against a guy that has had many starts in Brandon Peters. It shouldn't happen like that. I mean, it just shouldn't. It did. And now we got Brandon Peters, in, in effect, complaining about the fact that he was thrown off rhythm. Thrown off rhythm by his coaching staff. Oh boy, ladies and gentlemen. This is, that to me, without reading too much into it and making a mountain out of a molehill, when I see that, that speaks to a systemic problem with this football program. That they don't have a handle on their own guys. That they don't really have guys believing as much as they should. Because if Brandon Peters had full confidence in his offensive coordinator and the Mubby Smith, do you think he says the same thing? probably not. And really, if there was a coaching staff worth a damn that you could have confidence in, you wouldn't have been in a position where you had to trot Isaiah Williams out there because your fifth-year starting quarterback from Michigan can't make a basic throw and cannot keep drives alive, right? You wouldn't have had to do that in the first place if you had a coaching staff worth a crap. But here we are. So that's your offense. You know, the running game, whatever. you, You didn't block. Josh Madrabebe is just kind of not—I can't say aloof because that is presumptuous—but a mess. Everything was a mess. I think it was the third quarter where finally you targeted a wide receiver not named Josh Matterbabe. and all offseason long, Rod Smith and Lovey Smith are talking and heaping praise on their skill players, and we got this guy, and we got that guy. So many. Things and, and weapons that we have that we didn't the year before. And yet, all I see is Brandon Peters keying in on Josh Matterbabe time and time and time again. A little bit of Daniel Barker, that was nice. Luke Ford, I don't know. Daniel Amaterbebe, I don't know. Running backs, hard to grade them because they had no holes to run through. Other than Mike Epstein's fumble in the second play of the game, that's unfortunate. That's a long-winded way, folks, of saying they all stunk. They all stunk. And for all the bluster coming from this locker room and coming from these guys on their Zoom press conferences, for all the bluster and complaining about the spread and saying, we're going to show them and yada, yada. No, you got embarrassed. We say national TV. In effect, all these games are on national TV. But for Friday night, if you were a football fan, your eyes were on that game, at least for the first quarter until you said, this is kind of ugly, Wisconsin's going to run away with it, I'm going to go watch something else, which I'm guessing many people did. It was a boring game in most respects. But all that bluster and all this buildup, and then you lay an egg like that. It's not surprising. you know. We should be used to this. If we go back into our Alani history book, and we go back into our own memories of Illinois football, this tends to be what happens. But not to this degree necessarily, right? We know disappointment. We felt that before. But it's not like we came into this game thinking this team would be world beaters. At least I hope you didn't, right? You shouldn't have expected them to go 7-2 and two or compete for the Big Ten West. There's a reason why most prognosticators still had Illinois at the bottom of the Big Ten West. They didn't believe. But I think it was okay to be realistic about this team and say, hey, if everything goes right, they can have a solid year because they got this piece and that piece. They got veterans at positions that matter. And also, I think a lot of us as fans were holding on to this notion, even if you were a skeptic or cynic of Lovie Smith, you were holding on this notion that if it's going to work, it's got to work now. So maybe it does. As unorthodox as everything has been, right? As as weird as this program build has been for Lovey Smith, if it's going to work, it's got to work now. So all of that going into Friday night led even me, and you know me, okay? You know that I have been burned before, so I try to overly caution myself against Illinois being worth a damn. So when they are, I'm pleasantly surprised. So you know me, right? <laughs> I, I was trying to be as reasonable as I could. I said four and maybe five. Five wins, no matter how they got to that this year, would be over-the-moon ecstatic, right? And that a four-and-four or four-and-five record, you know, ninth game, I know that's kind of wild card, that it, it kind of depends how you get there in terms of how you feel about it. Well, let's pump the brakes on that, right? Even for those realistic, modest, I'm talking modest expectations, now we need to recalibrate them to the point of, oh my God, where are we going from here? What is this? It was that disjointed. It was that discombobulated. There was uh, just an ineptitude that I've not seen from an Illinois football team since. Well, I don't know. Northwestern at home last year, injuries aside. I understand a lot of Illinois guys weren't playing or at Minnesota last year. And then, especially, Levy year one, two, and three. That's where it wasn't surprising, right? The focus that I want to have on this episode. And I realized that the last 25 minutes have probably been scattershot like a Jackson Pollock, right? Carps just pissed off at this and pissed off at that. And I came in saying that I was clear-eyed and all that. And then I get back into the game and think, oh my God, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? As I watch all these games on Saturday and I see functional football teams. Functional. The bare minimum you could ask of this team in year five of this coaching staff is be functional. Don't look embarrassingly bad, no matter the opponent. Just look like you can at least do your thing okay, and if you happen to play someone better, then they beat you. Whatever, that's fine. But no, you didn't even get functional. But that's the key point, though. I mentioned that last year, the four-week stretch, where you won four games, the upset against Wisconsin, my favorite game of the year, in a weird way, the Purdue game, where you just beat them for 60 minutes, The only time in the Lovie Smith era that you actually just kind of looked better than the other team for 60 minutes, maybe Minnesota year three, right? That was the other highlight in terms of Lovie Smith not needing to come back or anything crazy. You were just better. And then Michigan State and Rutgers, or I guess the Rutgers game would have come before Michigan State. Rutgers first half, not very good. Second half, you turned it on with defensive scores. And then Michigan State, you remember how bad the first half was and the second half, you made the comeback. That's not taking those things away, right? It's not taking those wins away. But when you look at the larger sample size, that's the aberration. That is the exception. We cannot hang our hats on the fact that Lovey and his defensive touchdowns are going to cure all. They got a defensive score on Friday night. That made the game, at least for a couple minutes, kind of interesting. Well, maybe if you get a stop, in the no, no, not going to happen. It's sad when you feel like, you know, the defense could have played worse and they still gave up 45 points and they still gave up a record-setting 17 straight completions to a guy in his first collegiate start. That's not good when you think to yourself, you know, I've seen the defense worse than that. And I know I'm not alone in thinking that. I mean, we all kind of thought that. Well, you know, there's a play here and a play there. That's how low our expectations have gotten for defensive guru Levy Smith, right? The guy that first you brought in because he is a known quantity. He is a recognizable figure. He could be the face of the program. But secondly, because this guy has built his career on defense. There was the concern that is it kind of an archaic defense? Is it still play? We're finding out, yeah, it's archaic. It's ancient. It doesn't work anymore. Like You can you can get all the turnovers that you want, but that's not really a sustainable method, right? And Bears fans, you can relate. You know that to be the case when Lubby Smith is your coach, Bears fans. So now we're just seeing it come home to roost here at Illinois man, I don't know. I'm just fatigued. I'm just fatigued with this stupid football program. I'm pissed at this stupid football program. I'm pissed off that I look at other teams and other fan bases and the fun and the joy that they get to experience a lot more than I have. That's a selfish thing to say, right? It's sports. Big deal if your team doesn't win. You know, and, and my wife, to her credit, she she gets it and, and she'll say a few things like, eh, well, you know, it's only sports. And I'm like, you're right. You're absolutely right. And she doesn't do it in a, in a disparaging way or anything like that. It's actually a good way to kind of recalibrate and realize that, you know what, it is only a game. Cliché as that may sound. It's true. But it is frustrating to see other fan bases. Indiana yesterday, they get their moment. Yeah, we had our moment, I guess, against Wisconsin last year. But Indiana's moment yesterday, you know why that's different? Because that's actually a program that them beating Penn State yesterday isn't all that shocking. It's more of a cherry on top of this crazy Sunday that Tom Allen has made over there, right? He turned a football program that wasn't all that great and turned them into something pretty good. And then you cap it off with a win like that yesterday to propel you to potentially a very good season in the Big Ten East and solidify your position. People will buy stock in Indiana because for one, they would kind of done it before and then they cap it off with an insane win against Penn State to open up this season. Wisconsin last year doesn't mean crap if you don't build on it. The Michigan State comeback last year doesn't mean crap if you don't build on it. It's the same reason I get sick, and this is no offense to Tyler Griffey and that Illinois team, but it's the same reason that I get tired of that highlight because it didn't amount to much more than that team making the tournament that year. The program suffered after that because John Gross just couldn't get the big guy he wasn't all that great of a coach you missed four straight NCAA tournaments so the Tyler Griffey shot does not hold the same sort of importance as plays from you know Bill Self's first year when he was establishing Illinois as a top 10 program or anything from Lou Henson because he sustained it over a long period of time those highlights that we go back to the Wisconsin kick I feel bad for James McCourt if in fact this all fails. Because no one's going to look back on that 20 years the same way that they would, let's say, a Kurt Kittner or a Juice Williams play, where you had a moment and it led to a bigger moment. That's all to say that the Wisconsin and the Michigan State games last year, my fear, my fear is that they're ultimately rendered meaningless. Because the coaching staff, for one, didn't know how to coach their way out of a paper bag against most teams, so you weren't winning enough games. And two, that you weren't able to actually you know, capture any momentum from it. That you were not able to take these two crazy victories where you did get some national attention and get the interest of, I don't know, any high school recruit in the state of Illinois or any high school recruit worth a damn comparatively to other Big Ten West teams. Instead, they're just kind of treading water, they're spinning their wheels. We're here in purgatory. We're stuck. We're stuck and likely stuck with Lovey. The great $30 million swindle. You know, you could say that's unfair. The book has not yet been written. Most chapters have, though. And if you think that there's going to be some M. Night Shyamalan twist ending at the end of this, I don't know what you've been watching. This is what it is, which is to say it ain't good. And more often than not, it's just plain bad. Just be functional, for God's sake. Just be a functional Football team. I say that F, that that strong F, and you probably think, "Oh God, is Carp going to say it?" No, I can't. Come on, we're we're a family friendly podcast, but you can bet it's been going on in my mind as I watch Rutgers under Greg Schiano first game back. Functional football team, and yeah, they had the help of seven giveaways by Michigan State. I mean, Michigan State was a mess, but even they at least had moments where you thought, "Well, if they clean their thing up, then Mel Tucker can get some wins this year." I'm looking at Illinois. And if you say, well, what are three things they have to do? I'd say, can we move the decimal point over and make it 30 things they have to do to actually win some games this year? It ain't three things. It ain't five things. That was such a disaster against Wisconsin. And yes, acknowledging how good the opponent is, right? Acknowledging that. But it was such a disaster that it's very difficult to envision, well, if they do this, this, and this, then they're going to be fine. When in actuality, I don't even know where to begin. And I don't know, this is the scary part, I don't know if the coaching staff knows where to begin. I don't know if they do. They haven't proven it to us. And in their heart of hearts, you know, Lovey, he's got to be a confident guy for everything that he's accomplished in his career, for everything that he's done. He's, I'm sure, confident in his own ability to turn this around. But don't you think in their heart of hearts there's a little bit of, man, I I don't know if this is going to work, guys. And then for Josh Whitman, you know, this was your prized get. This was your big arrival at Illinois. You got Lovie Smith. We were all excited. So it is difficult to go back and relitigate that whole process and say, "Well, actually, Josh, you shouldn't have done that." When we all would have done it. But the problem is, that is the job of an athletic uh, department head. Excuse me, athletic director. There we go. That's the job of an athletic director: is to make those calls that us Joe fan don't need to make because guess what we are not getting compensated handsomely to make those decisions that are going to have a long lasting impact on our athletic programs josh whitman is and there are many things i like about josh and i find him to be an honest individual i find him to be someone that does care for the student athlete in a way that other athletic um athletic directors may not i think he genuinely believed this was going to work but I wonder when he might have stopped believing that. There's no way, if he were to say, I still believe in Lovey Smith, that would just be him doing the job of an athletic director, saying the right thing, right? There's no way that given what he's seen and given what we've all seen, that any of us actually believe that anymore. You don't have any evidence to believe that, okay? It's sort of like, you have all this tape in front of you, you have all these bad quarters of football over here, and you got the handful of good quarters in your right hand. And let's just say, oh my God, the difference between the good and the bad quarters, I'm saying bad quarters probably outweigh the good ones by three to one. And that might be generous. So the evidence so far suggests that this thing is not going to work. I think Josh Whitman probably knows that. But unfortunately, given the circumstances, what are you going to do? I tweeted this out Friday night that you're, you're stuck because of the realities of COVID, that moving on, even if they go eight and nine this year that might be next to impossible. Now, this would take, I'm sure, donors stepping up and saying, you know what, Josh, we'll we'll get the buyout. Because this athletic department could probably swing the money to get a new coach, but it's that buyout, which is not huge by other school standards. You would think it'd be affordable in most years, right? It probably would be. But this year, you're just trying to keep other people on your staff. You're trying to keep that DIA afloat and not lose non-revenue sports like other Big Ten schools are. So making a move is complicated. Not impossible. I maybe shouldn't have gone as far to say you certainly aren't making that move. But it would take the help of outside people with money to make that feasible to begin with. Now you might be saying, Carp, hold on. It's one game. You're talking about firing Lovey Smith. Yes, I am. I am talking about firing Lovey Smith. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm sick of watching Lovey Smith football. I'm sick of it. It is boring football. It is predicated on miracles slash good luck for your defense. And it's never had an offense worth a damn, at least consistently. You see flashes. Mike Martz had one good year with Lubby, with the Bears. Ron Turner had one good year. Remember Mike Tice? I think he was the offensive coordinator of Lubby's last year. You just move on and on because you don't have an identity on offense. It's really just, I'll try that guy, I'll try that guy, and I'm just going to focus on my cover two defense and the peanut punch. Lubby's lucky that he had Charles Tillman. That was a lot of turnovers from that guy alone. But that's what it is. It's just predicated on, well, we're going to get a defensive score. We're going to get three takeaways a game, and then we might win the game. Other than that, there's not really a thing with this program. It certainly isn't. Well, what we're going to do is recruit high school guys and build them up. I know that the transfer thing is what they've been going for, but you find, you're find you going to find long-term that you really, really need to hit at a high percentage with these transfers if that's going to work. And, and more than that, I mean, just... just Take the temperature of the Illini fan base here. On our Twitter bubble, and with 200-level listeners, and with the people that consume Illini sports media in any way, shape, or form that they can, Illinois football still matters. For the casual fan, they don't care. And we are losing a couple generations worth of potential fans because we have just sucked as a program for 30 years. We're just losing people that are saying, you know, why would I pay attention to that? If I were younger... Like, let's say that I, <laughs> you know, this, this is just going back in time and kind of, you know, rewriting history. Let's say my dad back in 2000 knew what the next 20 years of Illinois football would bring. Would we have gotten season tickets? Would we have gotten invested if we knew that the next 20 years were going to be that much of an exercise in futility? I doubt it, right? He would have said, let's go to a game here and a game there. But what I've learned from my dad when it comes to sports or with music that we really love, you kind of dive in head first and you just go for it, right? You become passionate about something, and then you're, you're a fan. And I don't regret all the games we've went to. I mean, there's a lot of good memories, even when the team is sucked, right? But there's other things we could have been doing on those Saturdays, too. Other things that would have been far less pull-your-hair-out frustrating. Other things that would have been probably more rewarding than watching this football team and this football program be mired in mediocrity in a good year. Mediocrity, you know? For the most part, it's been far worse than mediocre. It's been just bad. And it is a scary thing to think that Lovey Smith in these five years is going to be in the conversation with the worst coaches you've ever had. The record speaks for itself. Okay? And I know year one, it wasn't really his... Okay, whatever. Whatever. Year two was pretty awful. Year three was pretty awful. Last year, it took that four-game win streak to get you to six to make a bowl game. And this year, I know bowl games don't really look at win-loss records, but come on. What, What we saw Friday night, trying to project that forward, it don't look good, all right? Or it doesn't. Excuse my lack of grammar. But we are looking at a position that unless he turns it around and turns it around substantially, that he's going to go down as one of the worst coaches in Illinois football history. And the difference between the likes of a Lovey Smith and a Tim Beckman. Tim Beckman was a dude from the Mac. After Mike Thomas couldn't get Kevin Sumlin, presumably couldn't get Larry Fedora, and he settled for the guy from Toledo that had went nine and four the year before that's you You got from Tim Beckman what you kind of expected after that first press conference right let's be honest we all kind of looked at each other funny Lon and I were in the studio when Tim Beckman was talking about lasagna and we gave each other a little stink eye like what okay maybe the kids will like him I don't know and yet Tim Beckman was a far more effective high school recruiter than Levy Smith he was he just was so, Lovey Smith, I man, I started this Sunday podcast thinking, going to be cool, even-tempered. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of this Lovey Smith thing. As a Bears fan, I had, what, seven, eight years of it, and yes, I know his overall record was pretty good. So, would I take that? Certainly. But there is a fatigue element with the kind of football that is being played. When he had good teams with the Bears... Clearly, he had the respect of the locker room. The guys loved him. I think that kind of personality that Lubby has, it makes sense in the NFL. And he is a guy that commands respect. Even from his own players of Illinois, I'm sure that they respect him. I, I don't doubt that. I don't think there's going to be some sort of revolution or upheaval in that locker room. Oh, get out of here, Lubby. We don't want to play for anymore. Probably not. But that next step that it takes to be a college football coach, to inspire the enthusiasm of people that aren't on your team yet, you know, to convince guys to come play for Illinois, come play for me, go into lo- uh, living rooms, and convince families of that. That has been a complete failure. I mean, if you're actually grading his high school recruiting and you consider the expectations that were placed on Lovey when he came in and the amount that he's being compensated, he is not getting paid that much to suck this much as a recruiter. And it's coming home to roost, right? We look at a roster with a piece here and a piece there. I like that guy. Oh, I like the one that they poached from South Carolina State. Yeah, Roderick Perry looked pretty good. Hey, Tariq Barnes. Nice sophomore player for you. But the whole, right? We can look at individual guys and say, I like this. Oh, I like that. And I think in the offseason, that's what we were doing. But the next step is to actually turn them in a collective whole that is worth a damn. Lovey has not done that yet. And it, it's just frustrating to sit here and think. We had a month. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be able to look back on the Lovey Smith era, and we had, remember that one four-week stretch. That's it. That's it. At least that's what it appears it will be, is one four-week stretch where we had some fun. And then that was kind of muted by the way the season ended. And then, you know, all the COVID-19 stuff happened. But you were still excited for 2020 when it started on October 23rd. And instead, he basically just gave the equivalent football equivalent of fart noises. You know, just crap. Crap Randall was the name of the podcast on Friday night. Where to go from here is the name of this one. So as we look at the schedule, let's just kind of figure out where to go from here. You know, last year after the Minnesota-Michigan game, it was hard finding another win other than Rutgers at home, right? And they proved us wrong. They did. They went out, and you can talk about luck and all that. They still won those games. But my argument to you would be those games were won, a couple of them, Wisconsin-Michigan State, in fairly crazy fashion. Can you repeat that this year? Is lightning going to strike twice? And then there's also the factor that some people, I think, were correctly addressing on Twitter after the game and then on Saturday morning, that when you begin a season with that bad of a performance, what effect ultimately does that have on the psyche of the team and their own confidence in themselves? We're going to find out Saturday. Purdue comes into town. Rondale Moore, expectedly, will be back. David Bell, good wide receiver. O'Connell, decent quarterback. Defense, decent. They get a solid home win against Iowa. And I know Iowa, they were starting their quarterback for the first time, but that's still a pretty good way for Purdue to start And what they hope is a bounce-back year from what was a disappointing year for Braum and his team last year. You get them next. Halloween morning, 11 a.m. I'm glad we get it early because, frankly, I want to get these games out of the way. If they end up being crappy, I still have the rest of my Saturday. <laughs> that's my thought. No more prime time. We don't need it. And we probably won't get it at this point because after that performance Friday night, why would you put Illinois in prime time if you're the Big Ten? So with Purdue coming up, Vegas is going to come out, and I'm guessing they're going to say Purdue is about a 10, 11-point favorite because they know Rondale Moore is coming back. They kind of know that Illinois stinks, at least now they do, right? Not saying they can't turn it around, but they, they stunk so bad that it's difficult to imagine them turning it around that much. Do I expect a win? Absolutely not. You know, I told Jeremy that we recalibrate our expectations throughout a season based on one performance to the next. And it is a week-to-week proposition this year more than ever. Good Illini could show up on Saturday against Purdue as opposed to very bad Illini that showed up against Wisconsin. But I think what we saw Friday night was so jarring, back to the 2009 comparisons, that you wonder, is there something larger going on here? Is there something larger at foot that is keeping this team from even becoming a serviceable football team? I mean, that was a broken football team on Friday night. That was an embarrassment. And when you look at all the bluster and confidence with which they were speaking, and that's how they perform, we were shocked, right? Imagine how shocked they were. That locker room thought they were going to go like six and three or seven and two the way they were talking, which is great. I'd prefer them to be confident. But if you got bluster and then you get your ass kicked like that, it's got to be shocking. If they come back and they beat Purdue, that speaks quite a bit to this team's mental toughness I would give them all the credit in the world I hope they do because I still want an interesting year right above the short-term and long-term concerns and knowing that a change might not happen anyway right then you factor that in give me the interesting year with Illini football just give me interesting where they can win four games somehow some way and I can watch these games on Saturdays and be interested in them throughout give me that but I'm not even sure if that's all that likely and that's frustrating to think that even Purdue coming into here, you're like, oh, God, Rondale Moore's back. Brahm's going to be pissed from last year. And, oh, gosh. So we'll see, right? But Purdue, Minnesota, again, the, the defense of Minnesota didn't look all that great last night. But it all comes down to what coaching staffs you have more confidence in. Brom, P.J. Fleck, and oddly enough, has beat both of those guys each once in the last two years. So maybe there's not as great of a divide between coaching acumen but you still, as a fan, lack the confidence that this coaching staff is going to get it done because they just haven't gotten it done with any regularity. As the season goes on, there might be a surprise win and a surprise win here and there. I mean, you know, there might be a close loss to a really good team that makes you think, wow, you know, maybe we aren't that far off. But it's just difficult to envision that now. It's trying to balance, not overreacting. But also recognizing how bad Friday night was and it's a tricky thing to do. So when I talk to Jeremy on Monday for Mondays with Mike, that's the conversation we'll have where maybe I got the emotion out of the way today. Maybe I got that anger out of the way today. And then when Jeremy and I talk, it'll be more reasoned and calm. (laughs) But as I sit here today and try to think how is this Lubby Smith coach team going to make this an interesting year? It's hard to picture right now. And that's very disappointing when you look at thirteen other Big Ten teams that, at least for their first performance, they showed something to make you think, okay, Nebraska, take them. They got they got their butts kicked expectedly by Ohio State. But you know what? Against lesser opponents, that offense, you know what they can do. It's they're gonna be a goofy four and five with an offense that scores a crap ton of points and a defense that can't stop anybody. That's what Nebraska's been. From the, what uh, was it, Mike Riley? Yeah, and now the Scott Frost era. That's what they're going to do. Good offense, crap defense. I'd take it, you know. <laughs> I'd take the Bill Cubit the first year of Bill Cubit as offensive coordinator. I'd take that. Isn't that weird, too? How Bill Cubit's first year, Rod Smith's first year, were their most successful in terms of play calling and offensive numbers, and then it just trailed off. It's as if other teams figured it out. <laughs> it's like that it's as if other teams you know got the tape and they figured out how to take away the things that rod smith and bill cubitt like doing the most that's exactly what's happened and it doesn't seem right now like rod smith or lovey smith or anyone of that coaching staff has the answers i have no confidence in this coaching staff how could you how could you based on what well if i go any further i'm getting start getting redundant and just being complaining and all that and that's not really a healthy way to start your sunday i i I started this off thinking, oh, you want to take a nice little nice little stroll through what happened Friday, nice and calm. I know it didn't really end up that way, but it shows that I still have fire for this program. I still care. I want them to win. I really do. It's more fun for us than the podcast. And I'll be right there with everybody else heaping praise on this coaching staff if they turn it around and get a, what I would consider a quality win on Saturday against Purdue. It would be a quality win when you consider the bounce back factor, bouncing back from that Wisconsin game, But do I expect it? I don't. I don't. But regardless, we'll be here. We'll be doing the post-game pod. We'll do second half and post-game, and hopefully that will be a close game that we can actually watch and kind of add commentary on. You might have noticed on Friday night there were still some of those moments where I completely skipped the play-by-play and go, huh? Huh?" Not letting the listener know where we were at in the game. So I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work on my play-by-play skills. They were lacking on Friday, but also we were not watching it as closely as we would. If it were... A competitive game. So give me that for starters. Give me that on Saturday. Give me a somewhat entertaining game. Give me an offense that can actually convert on third down. Give me a quarterback that can actually deliver throws like a fifth-year quarterback should. And also, don't give me that quote at the end of the game which leads me to think that things are even more broken in that locker room than how it felt after the Illinois-Wisconsin game. I, I know to pick out what Brandon Peters said, and make a huge deal of it. That might be silly. These are still fairly young guys. And he was being honest. He just kind of voices displeasure with being put on the bench when he feels like he earned that job. That's all fair and good. But to me, it just potentially speaks to something larger going on. All right, I'm gonna get out of here before I get... Let me see. I'm calming down now. I'm calm. I'm calm. Everything's good. 200 level. We're gonna do this every now and then. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Illinois is going to piss you off. And I think that after that long layoff, there was just ah, football's back. And it got sucked out of the air so quick when Epstein fumbled it. I mean, Mike, that was such a a badly timed fumble. It was the second play from scrimmage. He did show some bursts later. We know he's capable of being a good running back. There just weren't a lot of holes for him or Chase Brown or Jakari Norwood. Threw a bunch of guys out of their running back, and then none of them just really got any consistency going. But you know what? As the season goes on, I hope that the football is good enough where we can break down the more micro things. I know this is a macro podcast, but for the love of God, give me something good that I can talk about, other than the fact that Treke Barnes was excellent, and that Roderick Perry showed a little something, and I don't know, guys. I That's about all I got. I hope Jake Hansen's okay. That was really scary. I... <laughs> Other than that, I don't know. I mean, that was one of the, the games where I'm racking my brain trying to think of positives to say. I'll ask Jeremy, other than Treek Barnes and Roderick Perry, was there anything that you saw that you liked? You know, I mean, Daniel Barker I had a few nice catches. I like him, but I don't That's not good. That's not good. Well, listen, have a good rest of your weekend. If you're listening to this on Sunday morning, you know, doing yard work, whatever it may be, have a good rest of your weekend. Have a good start to your week. We got Mondays with Mike coming up Monday. We may do a midweek podcast as well. In case, you know, Bryce Hopkins, he is going to commit. Who knows? Am I counting on it? No, but it'd be a nice surprise, right, for this Illinois basketball program. We are a month away. It is October 25th as I record this. A month away from Illinois basketball returning. So we will obviously be incorporating that more into our podcast going forward. I don't think they will disappoint us to the same degree as this football program. Just a hunch. Just a hunch. All right, before we go, DP Doe. I'm on at DPDoe.com. Use coupon code M-I-K-E. Mike. Mike. And you get a $5 calzone. They will deliver it anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. You can get a $6 construction or premium zone. Those things are loaded with the same coupon code. But coupon code Mike for $5 calzones from dpdo.com. 4th and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. Vintage-inspired Illini Apparel. Use coupon code 200LEVEL for 10% off at fourthandkirby.com. And State Farm Agent Brian Hanson, online at brianismyguy.com. Great working with Brian. Made it very easy for homeowners and auto. A nice bundle from State Farm and great people to work with. Go to bryanismyguy.com. I want I inquire. Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. Have a good rest of your day and a good start to your week. We'll be back with the Mondays with Mike podcast, maybe a midweek 200 level. And then Saturday morning for Halloween, a very spooky edition. Let's, <laughs> let's hope not any spookier than it needs to be. For Illinois and Purdue, a post-game pod with Harry, Trevor, and Isaac. We'll have more fun with that. That was a lot of fun to talk with those guys again. In the meantime, though, stay uh, stay healthy. <laughs> safe. Hafe, stay healthy, stay safe. We'll see you soon. I think as I start to stumble over my words, that's my cue to get out of here. It's the 200 level.